Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 159, where we interview Ty and Talit McNeely and talk about how to get your spouse on the same financial page. Not to live on two incomes. Like we tell everybody that whatever you do, do not over leverage yourself based off of the two incomes that's coming in the household because life will change. It may not change right now or right away, but it will eventually change. So live off one, use the other to save, invest, build wealth, start a business, do some fun things, take some risk. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen. And with me as always is my down to earth co-host, Scott Trench. Thanks for grounding me today, Mindy. Great to be here. (laughs) Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else. We're here to introduce you to every money story because we truly believe financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter where or when you're starting. That's right. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big-time investments in assets like real estate, start your own business, or confess your messy debts to your spouse for the first time, we'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so you can launch yourself towards those dreams. Today, we have the Talent and Ty McNeely from His and Her Money. Talent and Ty are financial educators that are on a mission to get couples on the same page financially so that they can experience the joys of financial freedom. This episode was so much fun to record, Scott, and it is just going to be killer. If you are at a different place in your finances than your spouse, maybe a different mindset, this is an episode that you are going to want to listen to with your spouse because Ty and Talit have some killer advice for how to connect with your spouse financially and get on the same page. Yeah, loved interviewing them. They are amazing. They just crushed. I just learned so much from them today and I can't wait to bring them in. So should we bring them in, Mindy? This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at NerdWallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms of each credit card issuer apply. The easiest way to collect rent? Rent app. Rent app is a seamless, secure, free payment tool for small rental property owners like you and me. Built by a team of fintech veterans behind Square and Cash App, Rent app uses ACH bank transfers to deposit rent directly into your account. Landlords love Rent app for its unbeatable convenience. Isn't it time you made rent collection easier? Rent app, the free and easy way to collect rent. Learn more at rent.app slash landlord. That's rent.app slash landlord. Talent and Ty McNeely from His and Her Money. Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I'm so excited to have you guys today. 
Well, hello. Hey, Mindy. Hey, Scott. Hey. We are just as excited to Absolutely. be here. Love the work that you guys are doing here with Bigger Pockets Money, and we are happy to be able to contribute. Well, that's awesome. Let's start off first with a bit of your background. Where does your journey with money begin? And then I want to jump into kind of your area of expertise is getting your spouse on the same financial page so that you can live your most beautiful financial life together. I think our story started with a 13-year-old tie. Isn't that right? <laughs> well, sort of. Um, our story, we, we pretty much grew up uh, in similar homes, middle-class uh, income families, and both our parents um, were, I don't like to use the word frugal, but I just feel like they were very money conscious. Cheap. Yeah, uh, he says cheap. And I think that's why he went like down the wrong direction. I went in the opposite direction. And so at the age of 13, I remember having the thought that I knew I wanted to go to college. That was non-negotiable, but I wanted to do it completely debt-free. Um, I was thinking about this at 13. Um, I knew that the weight uh, burden of having to figure out college you couldn't get around that, whether you get a student loan or you have to either cash flow it yourself as well too. But I knew that one day I wanted to get married. I wanted to have a family and I did not want the burden of my financial um, habits to actually be a burden on my future spouse. And so I met this guy here in high school. Um, and yeah. It's a good thing that she was thinking that way at 13 because it gave me so much room to mess up. So what happened was, <laughs> like Ty said, I had a similar upbringing, but to me, you know, all the couponing and the, and the discount shopping was a turnoff. And so when I uh, graduated high school at 17, I immediately went into the military and a uh, thousand miles away from home and have my own income. And so now that I had my money and my parents never got me anything name brand growing up, I decided that everything that I was going to buy was going to be name brand. And so I kept spending money until I didn't have any money anymore. And then I kept spending more money on credit cards and loans and all that. And I wound up in a mountain of debt. Nothing good to show for it. Nothing like you guys talk about, like real estate or an education. It was just stuff. It was just a bunch of stuff that had payments attached to it. Car, furniture, the sound system in the car, everything oh, on the credit card, yeah. clothes. And so um, I was in a mess and I got frustrated and I kept trying to dig my way out, kept messing up. Um, eventually, I started reading books and starting to get a little bit smarter. And that's at the point where we got engaged. But now the problem was I was engaged to a financial rock star, in my opinion. She had put herself through college completely debt-free by working jobs here and there and everywhere. And she got a degree in finance. She was working in the financial industry, had a perfect credit score. And here I was with a terrible credit score, a mountain of debt, and bad spending habits. And so... What do we do, Scott? How old were you when you were in this situation? And what what year is this? Around what year is this? So my started military, 17. We got engaged. I was 24. Okay, so 24. uh, You're you're describing your kind of peak... uh, Financial mess. Financial mess (laughs) at at 24 when you guys meet. Is that right? Yep, I really stunk up the joint. We met in in high school, but now we're at the point of engagement at 24 years old. And um, I would pretend it like I had my stuff together because I had my stuff together in other areas of life, but I couldn't get this together. And so I pretended that I did. And what happened was I lied. I lied to her. I didn't tell her how messed up my financial path was because I tried to create a plan of my own where I could clean up the mess before we got married, but that didn't work out. God didn't let that happen. And due to the fact that my wife, soon to be wife was super knowledgeable about money, you guys started asking questions on top of questions and my lies caught up with me and I had to confess. We almost did not get married 
because of my lies. Not so much because of the money, the debt, but the trust that I had broken over this financial situation almost caused us to not get married. Could you describe the the reality of your situation? Like what were the numbers behind the the mess you just described? Yeah, something over $30,000 of debt. And like I said, just stuff. No, no real estate, nothing to do with college. I was in the military. It was just all consumerism out of control. I had loans to pay off other loans. I had payday loans. I had fresh start loans. I had car loans. I had furniture loans. I had credit card debt. All just dumbness. Rapper, you called yourself dumb. <laughs> <laughs> so what I'm hearing is, first of all, you married up. Uh, second of all, <laughs> second of all, what I'm hearing is kind of the the two responses to growing up in a life of frugalness or even cheapness. Um, is I'm going to continue the path or I am going to break free and have everything that was denied for me. And it's funny that the two of you met and fell in love and got married from these different positions. Um, Also, what I'm hearing is that she will always find out, so never lie to your spouse. And I'm not talking to Talent. I'm talking to everybody who is listening. She will always find out. Uh, Because that's how it goes. Oh, look, they're nodding along with me because they know I'm right. Facts. True. (laughs) (laughs) Truth. So what what happened? I'm really curious. What happened when she finally was like, you are lying to me. I want to know all of your financial situation. How did that conversation look? Because that's a really, really difficult conversation to have from either side. Like she's she's so perfect in every single possible way. And then you are... Slightly less Jacked so. Jacked up. <laughs> Jacked up. Uh, <laughs> so she is thinking you're great and then, wait, what? And you are like, oh, she'll never find out. Oh, crap, she found out. Like, I can I can see, you know, love conquers all, but sometimes love doesn't conquer all. It did in this case, and that's great. But what does that conversation look like? Like, how do you start that conversation, Ty? And how do you finally come clean? Yeah, well, I'd like to note that um, this was after premarital counseling. So we had all the right conversations um, with our pastor uh, during our counseling sessions. Um, I knew to pull credit reports and we discussed it. I highlighted things, I penciled things in, but things just wasn't adding up. And so um, because I believe he probably because of my financial background, um, I knew that what he was saying was a lie. So he had to come clean um, and he probably eventually had to come clean anyway, because when we got married, what was now his became mine. And there was no way to really hide that after marriage. Um, so yeah, it hit the fan. It, it really hit the fan. It wasn't because of debt. I tell people, people always ask, high in talent, should I marry somebody that's in debt, that has debt? Sure. The issue is how do they handle it? Do you see them um, wanting to do different? Do you see them um, changing their mindset? And I really took a step back and I saw those things in him. I didn't know that's what he was doing um, I saw him with the second job. I just thought, you know, he was just saving more money maybe for our future. Um, and I saw him saying no and denying himself from certain things. And so once I was really to take a step back and I saw, okay, he already had the mindset change. He already knew that he wanted to do different. And it wasn't necessarily because I was this rock star per se. He made the decision that this is not how he wanted to live for the rest of his life. So I was able to work with somebody like that, but it also had me reflect upon myself. What was it about me that would not allow my soon-to-be husband to be honest and transparent with me. So I started to do a lot of soul searching in myself, within myself, um, like character development and things like that. Did I make it appear that I had it all together? I sure didn't think I did. Or was it just that my life made him uncomfortable? 
because he saw the way that I was moving and the way that I lived my life. And so, yeah, we had a lot of conversations, a lot of communication. At that point, it wasn't about the wedding day for me. It was about my future. Can I trust this person to actually trust him with my life, my future? Um, Was he hiding something else from me? So we were having to deal with all of those conversations. Um, So a lot of prayer, a lot of talking, a lot of communication, but also coming up with a plan. We knew we were not going to handle debt um, the same way that he handled debt within his singleness when we got married. And so we had to discuss what would that look like within marriage? Who would handle the budget? What we would do with our income? What we share accounts? Like things like this, we start to have more in-depth conversations that I believe was deeper than our premarital counseling. Spoiler alert, we did get married. We did get married. <laughs> what, what was, 14 what years was, in. Ty, what was your position uh, entering the marriage? Mine? Yes. Oh, I was completely debt-free. Completely debt-free. I put myself through college. Completely debt-free. Um, I had to do it in five years, so I couldn't did have, you have typical- it typical- Did you have assets as well on top of that, though? Um, well, I had a paid-off vehicle. I purchased my own $13,000 car at the age of 19, paid that off in like 11 months. Um, so I had a vehicle at the time and a paid for paid off degree. So, and at the time I had just started my career within the uh, financial industry. So I was building as well, but I had a little bit of a head start because I didn't have to carry student loan debt with me. Got it. Okay. So it sounds like you had a really healthy, needed discussion here. And what was it that uh, enabled you to move past that? And then how did you begin handling your money going forward as a, as a couple? I think it was just in a, uh, like we did a whole lot of praying and a whole lot of just me That's confessing so everything and me putting everything out there, not laying anything and stay in my back pocket. And then it was, like Ty said, a reflection of this was a part of me, but this wasn't the totality of who I was. There were some good things about me too. This was a mess up that I shouldn't have done, but this can be over overcome. And so um, through a whole lot of dialogue, we decided to move forward. And what was magnificent, you know, in my eyes was Ty's approach to, she could have said, you know, this is your mess. You go clean it up. You let me know when you're done. And then we could um, proceed. (laughs) (laughs) But she took the stance that, you know, this is now our situation and we are going to figure this out together. And so we took all the information um, that I now shared all the details and nitty gritty. And we use that to make a plan of attack to move forward um, and paying off the debt. And we ended up getting rid of all that debt within the first year of our marriage. Yeah, we were, we were committed. Um, We were, um, we had perseverance, like we didn't give up. And most couples in their newlywed stage, such as maybe Scott, maybe like you're going out every weekend, you're really just enjoying life. Like we didn't have children at the time. We wasn't enjoying a lot of that. We were sitting at home eating, like watching our favorite television shows while we saved our money and we paid down this debt. Taking our lunch to work, getting getting laughed at. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) That was a sacrifice, but it was one that was not drudgery, did not feel like drudgery for us because we knew that we were building a lifetime together. This was a temporary, you know, adjustment in order to have, you know, such a beautiful life afterwards in the area of our money. I want to point out that you said when you were telling, you know, from your point of view, I had to look to me and see what was it about me that made him think that I was perfect. I love that you did not say, oh, well, you're a big mess. I'm leaving. Or you know what? You're a big mess. This is yours to to deal with. And I think that sometimes being the better with money spouse can feel like, you know, oh, why can't you do it right? 
Why am I the one that has to do everything right? This is 100% your fault. And, you know, it can be, oh, I present this perfect image, but I love that you were willing to work together. I love that you sat down and, okay, let's look at everything. Let's lay it all bare and let's work together. It's not just Talit who is having a hard time with the, the repayment because he has to take his lunch, but you get to go out and he has to stay home all the time, but you can go out with the girls. And, you know, I just, I think it's, it's fantastic. And I can't remember who said it, but one of the guests before, uh, previously on our show said, it isn't me against him. It is us against the world. And I think that's so powerful when you're looking at how to tackle this. Yes, he racked up the debt, but he also changed his mindset, which is huge. I mean, changing the way that you look at money and being conscious that this way is not the right way to go is a huge hurdle. What advice do you have for people who haven't gotten to that hurdle yet? Be willing to at least be introspective. Be willing to say that maybe I need to look at this differently. Be willing to have enough gumption to say that maybe there's um, um, something else that I haven't thought about. Because likely thought, you know, there's been conversations within our head where we've formulated this narrative about what the situation is and who this other person is. But maybe it's been a one-sided narrative that we've been telling ourselves. We haven't allowed ourselves to think a little more deeply and a little, and we haven't allowed ourselves to zoom out from the situation to see again, is this the person or was this a part of the person, an error the person made? Maybe it's not the totality of the person, or maybe there's some signs of momentum change that I haven't allowed myself to see because I'm so frustrated and focused on this one thing about them. And I think that if we are intentional with our ability to zoom out and take an objective view at the totality of the situation, we'll find some pieces to the puzzle that we didn't see. Because the truth is, before this, whatever this is, you loved that person. You were committed to this person. You saw a future with this person. So you have to take some time to put all that into the, what was the things that um, allowed you to fall in love with this person? What was it that made you see a future with this person and put that into the equation along with some of the challenges that they have currently? I love that. I love that so much. Oh my goodness. Okay, if you're listening to this show right now and you want to get your finances in order, go to His and Her Money, go listen to their podcast. This is all that they do is talk about getting your spouse on board. And I mean, how much happier are you now that you don't have to lie to tie? How much happier are you now that, I mean, even like 14 years ago, how much happier was it? How much easier was it to have a conversation with her when she knew all the bad things? Yeah, it was a game changer because again, the 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 self-created narratives go on both sides of the equation because I created a self-narrative that said, if I told her all this, it would push her away. I would lose her. And so then I told myself, I can't tell her. But when I did tell her, when she did have all the information, she came closer. She said, all right, well, we're going to figure this out. It was the total opposite of what I told myself would be the outcome. And so when she took that approach, it was a, a weight that just lifted off my shoulders because I had a teammate now. I had somebody who knew all the bad stuff and still loved me despite the bad stuff. It's, it's one level when um, you feel like somebody loves you um, because when, when anybody's dating, you know, you always want to present your best 
um, parts of you. You always want to put your best foot forward to be impressive. Um, but it's another level, it's another depthness of your love when they can see your flaws and still love you through it. When they can see mistakes that you've made and still love you past it. That's a whole, whole nother level of love. And when you feel that, you feel like you can take on anything. Awesome. Going back to this first year, you're, you you get married and you begin paying off the debt. You pay off $30,000 in the first year. Can you describe what you're spending was and how you were able to do that on a on a more tactical level. Like, what was the what was your housing expense? How are you how are you able to? How much were you paying for food? You know, can we get you know an idea of how what percentage of your income you were saving to get to that level? Yeah, um, um, we can definitely talk about the income side of it. To be honest, fourteen years ago, I don't remember what our grocery budget <laughs> and things like that was, but we did adopt the principle of not falling for the two income trap. And so it's something that we teach now as well, too. Most times when couples get married, um, they're leveraging their entire lives on both incomes. That means the house that they buy. That means the vehicles they buy. That means the way they spend money, the vacations or the trips. And so we knew in order to kind of get a hold of this thing and get a hold of it so fast, in which we did within the first year of marriage, we had to live off one income and then use the other income to pay down debt and to also save for our future. And so that's what we did. So we had to literally fit everything into the income, the one particular income at the time. And if it wasn't in the budget, if that income could not carry it, we couldn't do it. And so that allowed us to take the other person's income and to throw it at that debt aggressively, to throw it at savings such as, because at the same time, we were also building our emergency fund at the same time. We were just brand new, newly married, coming together, combining our finances. So we had to build an emergency fund. At the same time, we had to get out of debt. And at the same time, we had to figure out money and marriage. What does that look like? Who gets to have the say? Who who gets to do the budget? And we messed things up like with that. that one. Yeah, exactly. And so we had to kind of like figure things out at the same time while we were paying off debt. Well, then, and what were your friends and colleagues doing at the same time in contrast? The if, exact, if there was a contrast. The exact opposite. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> it's a blur to me, honestly, because I, I, I felt like I had tunnel vision. Like I didn't care yeah. what anybody outside of our house was doing or I don't even remember it was just like the McNeely household. What were we doing inside of the house and how were I we? I remember because I use people's doubt. Yeah, I, your guys. I, I, use, I use people's probably. jokes as fuel, as motivation. Yeah, um, and so true. at work, you know, everybody went out for lunch and I had the hot pockets that I was warming up <laughs> in the microwave, you know, and people had stuff to say about that. And um, even family, even close people like, man, it doesn't take all that. You know, when, when after church, everybody's going out, well, we can't go out this time. Right. You know what I mean? We had to make those conscious Or we went decisions. out, we were pulling out cash and they were like, is it that serious? What are you doing? Why are you counting cash? Right. Like out of this envelope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so um, we were willing to do that because we were future minded. We had a goal and uh, we just, we didn't really care. That goes back to what you were saying, Mindy. We adopted that principle. So it was against everybody else. Yep. Everybody can laugh. Everybody can we're joke. Like everybody can have comments, but we're still going to do our thing. You yep. know what I mean? We had thick skin. Like none of it got to us. But for me, you know, I, I always in yeah. situations like that use it as motivation. Like, okay, keep watching. Keep and I, watching. Think, <laughs> I, think, I think you bring up a good point, especially for me. And that was probably an ego thing. For you having to deal with that with maybe your colleagues. For me, my colleagues saw me bringing my lunch bag to work and I didn't care what they thought. They didn't care what I was doing, you know? And it was, I think it was just, I think for me, it was something that they always saw me doing. For you, you had to now change the way that you were doing things. Yeah. Because now you were married and you wanted to better your financial life. So they probably like, oh, wait a minute, you can't go out now? Like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Oh, me, she, oh, she wearing the pants. Yeah, for me, I was consistent. <laughs> well, I was well. consistent. And so nothing really changed from, from their point of view. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think I think that that's that's this is an, a, a something that I think people struggle with is because 
in many relationships, there's going to be one person who at least comes in or begins with a more a heavier bias one way or the other around how we're going to handle money. And the distinction between you guys, I think, was was very extreme in this. But everyone deals with that in their relationships, right? At least some dichotomy there, some some differences. And I think what's powerful here is, so I think it would have been really hard for you to change your mentality around money uh, and make these changes, perhaps, if it hadn't been for Ty, you embracing his problems or his his mess, as what we called it earlier, as your own and going in there all in and doing the same thing in conjunction. And I think that that's, uh, you know, like, for example, do you think, I don't know, but do you think that there would have been a difference in your ability to lot to change your approach with money if she had kind of left you more on your own or you had differentiated finances during this period in the first year? Yeah, I think it was a game changer because I felt the responsibility of being somebody's husband. Mm-hmm. And I knew that this new season that I was going into would require me to be different. I couldn't be the same way that I was because at that point in my life, even though I didn't have the game plan figured out, I knew that the results that I was getting was not the results that I wanted. And so if I wanted some different results, I was going to have to take some different actions. Plus the fact that I was going to be a husband. Plus it's not just about me anymore. And I, I'm trying to build a future. One day we want to have kids, that's for sure. And so again, all these things, I, I always look to the future, even to this day, fueled what I was willing to do in my present tense. And so that new level of responsibility was a huge factor in my progression on a personal level with my understanding of money and my interactions with money. I think that if I wasn't in that season of about to get married, my progress would have been much slower if there would have been much progress at all. It might have took me a little longer to be willing to buckle down and do the work necessary. So me becoming a husband was a big, big part in my advanced progression. Okay. So Ty, you said that we were getting ready to combine finances. Do you recommend that couples combine their finances when they get married or if they haven't combined them and they're already married and they want to change their their financial picture, do you recommend that they start to combine them? Yeah, so this is like one of the number one questions we get. We're about to get y'all um, in trouble, I, Mindy. I, I honestly That's feel okay. like people ask this question um, because it's like they already, you know, they kind of want to see like, what do you think? What do you think? So yes, we believe that couples should combine finances. We don't believe in just making decisions to have children, making decisions to build a lifetime together. My children are worth much more than my money. And if I can trust this man to be the father of my children, I can definitely clearly trust him to, to handle if the you money. You can share DNA. You can share That's money. That's how I look at it. Now, <laughs> now again, it. we're not talking about those cases, unusual cases, right? So yes, if you have a spouse that clearly the signs are on the wall or clearly they're being dishonest in a way where you have to now fend for yourself, protect yourself, you and your children, that's a whole different story. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the average couple who maybe things are going well, like no issues whatsoever, um, but things could be a little bit better. We tell people don't knock it unless you try it. And for us, it taught us to grow more trust with each other. Like if you can trust this person with your money, like that's like one of the world's biggest exercises. You know what I mean? Like to be able to trust them with your money. And um, we always feel like when two are focused in a thing together, you can gain whatever it is that you're trying to gain a whole lot quicker. And so for us, yes, we believe there there's no I in marriage. It's we, it's us. And we make that decision. We make the decision. Now within our money, of course, we have individuality, right? That's where a budget comes in. 
um, you know, where he gets his own spending money. I get my own spending money. He could do whatever he wants. He doesn't have to be accountable. I can do whatever I want. I don't have to be accountable. So you could still interweave some individualness, some independency within having combined finances. Yeah, but the overall plan was crafted together to include the individual spending money that we get to do what we want with. I think that we all know, like we've heard countless amounts of research that say one of the number one marriage killers is financial issues. So if we know that that's one of the number one ways that marriage is in, why would we put division in it? Why would we proactively put division in an area that is known to divide marriages permanently? Mm -hmm. And so I just think it's a dangerous proposition um, for you to allow that to be because then that just leaves so much wiggle room for you to build up this wall of independency that prohibits you from joining in other areas of your life because you're, you see yourself as this independent person. And what tends to happen is your marriage becomes more contractual than covenantal. And you all are almost like business partners and roommates. Uh, I, I used to have roommates and I remember on the first of the month, we each put our check on the, on the dresser. You know, it was, Three of us total, one third of rent, one third of electric, one third of gas. You know what I mean? It, it feels more like a roommate situation yeah. than uh, this is who I'm spending and the rest of my life. And I feel like it time. just adds more work um, having individual things where it's like, okay, who's going to cover the mortgage? Okay, we go out to eat. Who's picking up the tab? Like, I'm married to this person. I don't want to have to figure out. I, I paid for the steak last well, time. I, paid, Wait, I didn't have appetizers. Like, you me, appetizers. Yeah, to me, <laughs> like, I don't want to keep notes and keep tally and keep check on how we're spending our money. Have you spent your fair share? You know, and because things change within a marriage, right? I started out working prior um, in the beginning prior to us having children and I was bringing in more than income, but it was our income in the household. And then there was one day we had children and I decided to be a stay-at-home mom. Like we get uh, emails and questions from people, especially single mom, not single moms, but stay-at-home moms where they feel burdened. Like, oh gosh, I feel like I have to help my husband. Like they have so much pressure. Here it is, they're taking care of children, which is one of the greatest uh, jobs and in the world and most challenging. Right. And at the same time, you're trying, and to figure most out, underpaid. you're trying to figure out, oh, I don't want him to feel like I'm not doing my, my fair share. Like what? Like to me, it's just backwards. It's backwards. So um, no, we highly recommend. And that's, that's something that we stand on that we don't waver on unless of course there are extreme situations where you need to have your own. So please send all your comments and questions to Mindy at biggerpockets.com. <laughs> That's right. Yes, please. Because I 100% agree with everything that you're saying. I This is my, I almost said this is my first marriage. It's my only marriage too. <laughs> I am not going to be dating anybody ever again. I've been married for 19 years. Oh, nice. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. And it's. it's I've been married for 19 days. Yeah. Let's get it, Scott. Welcome to the club, brother. (laughs) I think it literally is 19. Yeah. About 19 days. Yeah. That's awesome. That's hilarious. But when we got together, we had basically nothing. Both of us brought nothing into the marriage. And he brought up the idea of a prenup. And I'm like, no. 21 days. Sorry. Oh, 21 days. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Your golden enough. anniversary. You got married on the 21st. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so we, we were both bringing in nothing to the relationship. So it's not like, you know, we had anything to protect. I think I had a condo and he had a house and they were worth about the same. Um so maybe his house is worth more, but not much. So we combined our finances. We took all of my money and put it into his bank accounts because he's a computer guy. And this was 20 years ago, 19 years ago. And he had already automatic debits coming out of his bank account. 
So he just put my name on his account, all my money in his account, and then continued on. Because I don't know if you know how to, if you've ever had to change your automatic withdrawals, but it is yeah. a nightmare and a half. Yep. So we just did all that. Sure. That was great. And that was 19 years ago. Imagine, I can't even imagine now. We've had the same bank because it's such a disaster. So, But we have always combined finances. And when I was not a mother, I had a job. And then when I became a mom, I was a stay-at-home mom. He made about four times what I made. So it was a no-brainer for me to stay home because, seriously, my paycheck would have covered the entire amount of daycare. Like I would not bring anything home and I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. And this is not judgment on anybody who doesn't want to be a stay-at-home mom or can't. This is just my situation. And when I was, you know, home, I would go to the grocery store and I never felt like I had to ask him if it was okay because this is our money. But then when I was going out to buy a purse that I did not need because I already had three at home, I would reach out to him. Hey, do you care if I, you know, there's this purse and it's $20, but it's really cute. He's like, I don't care. I'm not buying $500 purses because then he would care. Right. (laughs) Talit, you think your parents are cheap. Let me introduce (laughs) you to my husband. (laughs) I'm working on him. But, you know, I grew up cheap too. I grew up like super frugal. But I think it's so much, it's so important to combine finances. And what you said, exactly what you said is like perfect. I want to cut that part out of the video and make it a standalone video. Should I combine finances with my spouse? Yes. Here's why. Exactly. Mindy at biggerpockets.com. Send me, (laughs) and I will forward them on to Kai (laughs) Talent. No, no, it's funny because we're we're talking about this right now, Virginia and I, and those types of things. And really, we've agreed, I think, to combine finances. It's just a matter of mechanically making that work. So, thank you. I think we're going to probably do. You know, yes. I'll, I'll, I'm going to suggest something like what you just described, Mindy, for, for Virginia, just adding that into the one that I'm using because you know we'll see. But we, yeah. we have to just work out the mechanics, basically, of it. But that's the mentality that we want to have is what you guys just described around around money. I think that's really healthy one, the one that we're that we're Absolutely. in the process of adopting. So. Yeah, and let me tell you, we receive feedback, um, emails, updates from people that say, at first, when you said it, I thought you all were crazy. But when we tried it, I didn't think that I could be even closer to my husband than I am now. I didn't even think that we could pay off our debt a whole lot sooner than we are now. Like, I felt like our visions are more aligned um, because there's oneness. And so that's why I tell people, don't knock it unless you try it. Um, but it's definitely something that has worked well for us. And it's something that we highly recommend anybody do. It's countercultural, unfortunately, um, to have this type of, of mentality because you know, even even people like literally gave us advice, both individually, separately, that Girl, we should have some have money on the side account. just in case. You it's almost know. like you're yep. preparing yourself right. for disaster right. ahead of time, um, and just we, we're not with that. You know, um, we're 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 believing and we're putting in the work to make this a lifetime situation. This is who I said I want to spend my life with. Right. So I want to do everything in my power that I do have control o- over to make um, make that happen. And so. Again, if this is an area that destroys most marriages, we need to put a whole lot of intentionality around making sure that we don't fall inside that statistic. Yep. Well, I think I think it's I think it's wonderful advice, and I, I'm learning a lot from you guys here. So I appreciate it personally oh, um, for, for what I'm I'm thinking about going through some of these things right now. Pretty good episode, right? While you were listening, you could have been getting paid rent with RentApp. Landlords love RentApp because it makes rent collection a breeze. RentApp uses ACH bank transfers to deposit funds directly into your account. Setup is straightforward for renters. Landlords don't need to download anything. 
Both have peace of mind with a digital transaction history. Isn't it time you made landlording a little easier? Rent app, the best way to pay or collect rent. Learn more at rent.app slash landlord. That's rent.app slash landlord. What if I told you that I, Mindy Jensen, the queen of budgeting, the personal finance fanatic, sometimes forgot to cancel my subscriptions? I know, it's horrible. $10 here, $15 there. My useless subscription bills could have taken my whole family out to dinner multiple times. Rocket Money can make all that subscription sadness suddenly vanish. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. You can see all your subscriptions in one place and cancel money-sucking subscriptions with a tap. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. That's rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers an 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split with 70% of profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, get paid first. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of the physical asset provide additional security in case of borrower default. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, you contribute to the revitalization of communities by redirecting your funds from Wall Street to Main Street, supporting local economies, and generating profits simultaneously. This investment is reserved for accredited investors, but if you are not accredited, Pine Financial has options for you too. Don't miss this opportunity to back Main Street over Wall Street and start earning passive real estate income. Learn more about investing with Pine at pinefinancialgroup.com BP. That's pinefinancialgroup.com BP. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. So, so let's go back to your story though, real quick. You guys just paid off thirty thousand dollars in your first year of marriage, which was, I believe, you said fourteen years ago. Yeah. Yep. yep. What happens in the second year? What do you begin? How do you guys begin doing once you get back to zero? And how do you begin approaching your philosophy around money at that point? Yeah, the the dope part about getting out of debt is your ability to take some risk. Um, and so we 
tried some things entrepreneurially. We tried some um, things investment wise. You know, we took our first foray into um, investing in real estate. We uh, bought a house, rehabbed the house, put it on the market just in time for the great recession to take place. (laughs) (laughs) And it just, it it didn't work out at all, right? right? But because we have positioned ourselves to be out of debt, to have an emergency fund in place, we were able to take risks. So like even even the losses that we took, one, we took them together because we, you know, we tried all these different things together, several different business ideas that we tried. Um, it was, it was fun. What, can I, can I ask a couple of questions here? Were you, you were able to pay off $30,000 in debt the first year. Were you able to kind of accumulate wealth at that rate or greater in the following years, just from your cat, like your personal home cash flow situation, or did that change? Did you ease off a little bit, for example, after you paid off the debt? Well, we, we, at that time, we had started saving money to put money down on our first real estate, our first rental property that we did not in, end up um, renting out. So mm-hmm. we were able to then beef up our emergency fund a little bit more. But at the same time, we were able to try different entrepreneur ventures. That, and we were doing, you know, the 401k game and all that type of stuff. Right. Um, and we started traveling more. So we started to really like enjoy our first, what should have been probably our first year of marriage. Yeah. We started enjoying <laughs> it our second year of marriage. Yeah. And so we started just disseminating our money in those ways, but for the intent to invest in real estate. Yeah. Awesome. And, and I assume your incomes were growing as well during this period. Um, so, so it sounds like you're, you're accumulating wealth at like a twenty, twenty-five, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 rate in these first couple of years. Yeah. And then you're saying you did entrepreneurship and, and real estate investing. I'm, and I'm trying to get, I think this is really important because this is the, this is the good, this is why once you get off paying the, the debt, this is the fun stuff of finance, right? right? So it, were you guys maybe doing a little less retirement account contributions at this point and more in the, in the context of, of liquidity or how, okay. No, we, no, we, 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 we yeah. actually ramped up our investing. To After our we got out of debt, yeah. yeah. We um, actually ramped it up. Um, I think it was probably like 15% at yeah. the time, but something too that I don't want to forget, we also started to give more. And okay. so we had the ability to give more. We were, and that felt just as good. It felt just as good. I mean, we were doing things that people didn't know about like paying other people's mortgages yeah. and, um, things like that and uh, giving trips and vacations. Like we started to find radical ways to be able to give to others. Buying toys for kids that didn't have uh, Christmas, Christmas and gifts. and things like that. So it wasn't like we were hoarding this money. Yeah. Honestly, we were now putting it to things that really, you know, tugged on our heart. And so, yeah, the giving increased, but also our investing increased into our own individual 401ks and then saving for real estate. Awesome. So, with the saving for real estate and entrepreneurial ventures, one of the things I want to get around get, get, is this mindset around how much cash do I need to feel comfortable with that. So, how are you treating your emergency reserve in the context of going into real estate or entrepreneurial ventures? Back then, man, I wish you would have had that interview fourteen years ago. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, they were two different funds. We focused almost primarily on getting the emergency fund a little higher, and then once we checked that box off then the cash was going towards um, the investment property. You know, it was based on, oh man, that time, you know, the prices, the going rate at that time, we knew we needed a certain amount of yeah. um, down payment. And we knew that we were getting a type of property that was going to need rehab. We put 20% down. That I remember. I don't know, remember how much it was, but I knew it was 20%. Yeah. And we knew that we were going to have to fix it up and um, things like that. And so, you know, we factored all that into it. Cash we had carrying yeah. costs, you know, we... You know, like I said, it didn't work out. We had that house a whole extra and year than this, we thought we were. And we we have to bring this part up as well too. In the time frame when I decided that um, I now wanted to stay home because now three years into our marriage, we had our first child. So by that 
that first year after he turned one, I ended up coming home. He also was going through a job transition yep. to become a teacher. I was in grad school. So he then now exits the military. He's in grad school getting his uh, degree and he's doing his student teaching. So money wasn't coming in um, from that, from him. And she decided she wanted to quit, Scott. I did. <laughs> and what what year and what year are we in right now? This was three years into our marriage. So this was like 2009, 2010. Okay, so you're right. You're in the midst. So a bunch of things are happening at once. There's job transition. So much yeah. is going on. So, so much was going on. And you, you're losing money on real estate. You're transitioning jobs. Exactly. You've got a one year old, and yet you're fine because yep. you've had these disciplined financial exactly habits it. for years yeah. in a row, and and yeah. been really really smart about your money. Is that that's yeah. exactly yeah. it? The discipline, um, our, the work that we put in on the front end, we were able to to then reap the rewards from that in a time where we were going through life, major life transitions. And so because- And the rest of the world's on fire economically. Exactly, exactly. And we weren't even like sweating in Mm -hmm. a sense. Um, And so we were able to live off our emergency fund while he was doing the student teaching um, until you were able to finally like do some substitute teaching. And then he finally got into his Official teaching, teaching. And uh, then we got crazy, Scott. And uh, we bought our first uh, single family home and we told ourselves that we weren't going to take 30 years to pay it off. We told ourselves we were going to pay it off in five years. And five years from the date that we closed on the house, we walked into the bank with our now three kids. And we made our final mortgage payment, $330,000, five years. So we are 100% debt-free. And and where where is this located? Illinois. Illinois, okay. Chicagoland area, yeah. Midwestern. So we're we're, we're talking about... we, we have this big inflection point in 2009, it sounds like. Yes. And then we've got another inflection point five years later when we're paying down the mortgage. Yeah. Uh, I, I just want to walk through these these couple of steps here. During that period where you're paying off the mortgage, are you also investing in other assets or building wealth in other ways? Or is it really just kind of throwing all the do- uh, every extra dollar at the mortgage? So for us, we set our investing at a certain um, threshold. Yep. We automated it. And then all the other dollars that we brought in that was beyond that point, the goal was for the house to be paid off. So okay. we did some um, some extra jobs. We got, you know, every tax return that came in went that way. When we got pay raises, we didn't up our living expenses. Just, so we like, we would literally call the bank if I got a raise and adjust our extra payment that we would send and automate the process. And so a lot of it was on automation, but a lot of it was we were like looking around, selling stuff and doing extra, the flipping stuff from the from the thrift stores. Well, and- because we knew that we did it before, we knew that we can be disciplined enough to do it again. And so we created an entire series on our YouTube channel for those who are very interested in how we did it. Um, just go to our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash his or her money. Um, we have a playlist as far as how we paid off our mortgage. And so we kind of give insight and tips, the reason why we did it. Um, that would actually be longer than a 30-minute episode here. But for the most part, we made adjustments. We we made a lot of adjustments, a lot of discipline, because at the time you have to realize now we have three children. And, and children, income. right. And children cost money. And and at the same time, we were building his and her money. And I think we didn't get to that part, how we ended up coming to the his and her money thing. Uh, but people saw us pay off that consumer uh, debt within our first year of marriage. And people started asking us, how'd you do it? The people that was laughing. Yeah, they started asking, how did you do it? And we were inviting people into our home. They were sitting on our couches and we were counseling them. And then, we're, then we were like, wait, maybe we should take this to the world. Like if they're mm-hmm. at our little corner, they're asking us questions. There are probably so many other families that need the answers as well too. So that's really how his or her money was born. Um, and then at the same time, we want to show 
the world through his or her money that, hey, you don't have to stop there just with your consumer debt. You can now go on and pay off your mortgage. And that's what we did. So are they are they uh, now enjoying Hot Pockets, some of these folks? <laughs> yeah, they made some changes. You know, they, 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 after they saw the result, you know, actions speak louder than words sometimes. And so mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, when you're in the midst of the fight, you're saying, listen, guys, I'm getting out of debt. I'm making some progress. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever. But then when the, when the finality happens and you have a result, an outcome, then their ears start perking up. And so- exactly. Um, we and- had somebody recently, which was interesting. We were doing a live on our YouTube channel about a week ago. And somebody back from those days literally put yeah, a he comment. Jumped in, he jumped in he on said the live. He will bring his lunch yeah, to work. I remember he used to bring his lunch and to work. And I was like, what? <laughs> so it was like, he remembered that. Yeah. And then now, and then also he was watching you really yeah. tell your story and instruct others how to live their lives financially. I it's thought like all about. that stuff led to um, the life we live now. And this is what, this is what we had in our head. You know what I mean? The reason this was our why to get to be able to control our life, control our days. Well, I want to I want to get to that point because that's that's the fun part here. But we still have parts of the story. So I, I, I'm hearing that we're sitting in 2014, 2015. Is that right? When you pay off the house? No, no. That's when we start. We started the process in 2013, and we right. ended the process in 2018. 2018. Great. And so we're in 2018, and we've got a position with a paid off house. Uh, what I appear, what I imagine are some strong retirement account contributions that have yeah. that have compounded over the years, and then maybe a cash cushion. Is there any other? wealth to speak of at that point? Um, or is that mostly the, is that, I mean, it's a wonderful position. I'm just, I'm just I, would, I would honestly, I like to put, we started putting a lot of focus into our own personal brand, our own personal so business. We were reinvesting back because in the business. we knew that one day he was going to walk off his job. And so yeah. I wasn't working at the time. Um, I was working in the company, his and her money and taking care of our baby. So at this point I was still a stay home, work at home mom. Um, and we knew that eventually he was going to walk away uh, from this educational career and so, um, which you can do because you have a paid off house, exactly. spas, emergency reserves, and other investments, exactly. which allow you to have flex those entrepreneurial muscles. Exactly, exactly. So we weren't really crazy with um, trying some so many different things, like our risk levels and all that. We were really conservative, simply because our main goal we, we wanted to pay off this mortgage. We knew mm-hmm. that, yeah, to some people it may not make mathematical sense to pay off your mortgage, but for us, personal finance is personal. Nobody can take away how this feels, especially in the middle of a pandemic. And we're working full time in our own business while we're doing remote learning across the hall with our children. Like nobody can take that away from us, how that feels where we're not stressed. Like, oh my gosh, we have to pay our mortgage because mortgage debt, mortgage payments is probably the highest payment or debt payment that anyone has in their life. Mm -hmm. So if you can knock that out, my gosh, like the options and the different... Things that you can do. There's so many things that don't go in a calculator. You know, um, I was a few minutes behind on this interview because I had to go help my mom. I'm an only child. And so when she needs help, I can just go. I don't have to ask somebody permission to go help my mom with X, Y, and Z because we paid the price up front. So now we can control our situation and we're self-employed. And so when others need help that we love and care about, we can just go do it. So you can't crunch that inside of a calculator. Okay, wonderful. So let me, let, let's walk through this part as well. So you're building his and her money. How is that growing during this period? And when do you transition out of your job? And how does that work? So you, he transitioned out of his job not, e- not even a year after we paid off the house. Yeah, less than a, yeah, a month. Uh, no, two no, months. No, no, no. We paid off the house in July. You left in March. Right. 
So that's more than two months. Okay, huh? <laughs> I said less about than a seven year. seven months. Less than a year. <laughs> less seven than months a year. Later, yeah. Exactly. Less yeah. than a year, um, you walked away. Yep. And, and, and your income, but now, now, what, what I think a big factor in this is, is I love, I love the fact you paid off the house, but you still have taxes, insurance, those types of things with it, mm-hmm. and you still have other expenses for the household. Yep. In order to feel comfortable walking away from the job, I imagine that there's an emergency reserve. That's what we, a lot of folks have, yeah. and enough of uh, um, a perception of the upside or opportunity from your business to make that call yeah. as well. And that's yes what I'm trying no. to. Okay, no, yes okay, and, great. yes and no, honestly. Tyler was not going to walk away from his job at the time that he did. He was actually going to still finish out that school year Mm -hmm. because we were still in the planning phases. Like we knew it was coming, but we were still planning. We were still trying to beef up the savings and stuff like that. At that point, we beefed up the emergency fund. To Um, 12 months. Right. But uh, there were some things that led to, no, we know we think that now is the time for him to leave. And so we didn't even really have it all together, honestly, like this picture perfect ideal situation. No, um, and his or her money was steady and growing. So at the point when you walked away from your job, I don't even know if the company made six figures that year. I think uh, we had just maybe had we had first. just had our first six-year six figure. Year. Just had our first six-year figure. Six-figure year. Yes, yeah. yeah, right. Six-figure year. So we weren't like, oh my gosh, this is really gonna like work. But we knew that he and I together, because we were able to pay off our our mortgage, we were able to become completely consumer debt-free within our first year. We knew that there was nothing that will stop us from doing- We created the margin necessary to take the risk. Exactly. So we knew that there was nothing that we could not do. And so because we didn't have the mortgage, we knew, okay, we don't have to have the stress. We don't really have to pay ourselves from the business, which we weren't. Like we just really honestly started paying ourselves a salary from our company. And we and, and our level of expenses didn't require a whole lot. Exactly. Um, and so again, we we put margin in place to to allow us to take the risk. Even like Ty said, though the situation wasn't perfect, we put a, we stacked the deck in our favor yeah. to at least try to do. Yeah, it. That, that that's exactly what I was hoping to get to. It's never perfect with those type. You guys did all the work up front to, and again, you had this emergency reserve and you had enough yep. income to feel. Like it was the better move for your future to make that transition at that point. The point is most people can't take that risk because they haven't, as you, as you've said uh, several times now, paid the price up front with that stuff, with the, the, the years, the grind as a hot pocket. Yeah. Yeah. Don't say it ain't before they had to get them a check. I haven't had lunch yet, so that actually sounds really good. Uh, But (laughs) today's episode is brought to you by hot pocket. Right. Exactly. Yeah. First off, that is the best argument that I have ever heard for paying off your house early. I have only ever heard the financial argument and money's so cheap right now. Why wouldn't you get a loan? I have a client. I just talked to her today and she's like, well, we want to buy this house with cash. Okay, I can make a financial argument, a money argument. Hey, that's, you know, I got a quote for 2.8% on a mortgage. That's like practically free money, but it's not free. It still comes with a monthly payment every single month. What are your expenses without the mortgage? Like, since you don't have a mortgage, let's say his and her money stops bringing in any income at all. Right. What kind of job do you have to go get to feed your family? To be, to be honest, and this is not to sound, sound prideful, I don't think that we would ever go back to work a nine to five. Mm-hmm. I believe that we have adjusted our lifestyles to the point that where we are now today, that we could literally make it work and take care of our family, even if we had a side hustle. Yeah. I want to bring, I want you to talk, I wanted to talk a little bit about that point, how you said money is so cheap now, interest rates 2.8. 
we had a great credit score when we got our, our home. We had a very good rate and we still paid $25,000 in interest on our mortgage. And so we want people to see that. A lot of times you just think that you're buying your home for this dollar amount. That interest adds up, right? By the time you pay off this home in 30 years, you have probably paid for that house at twice, two and a half times. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you want to get smarter than the banks, right? I don't want to... I don't want to buy any real estate where if I have equity in our home, really that equity is no, is nothing if I'm paying more in more in interest, right? Like it doesn't make sense. So you really have to literally do the math um, and figure out a way to get yourself ahead of the curve. And yeah. so for us, it was paying off our the mortgage. Banks, the banks are not dumb. You think you think no. you think just because you got a 2.8 that that the, the system is in your favor and it's you're not. sadly mistaken. Yes. Look at your amortization statement then with, with your 2.8%, all right? Look at what happens in the first five to seven years of that amortization statement. Guess what? It's not an accident that you pay nearly all the interest in the first five to seven years of that loan. You know why you pay it? Because they have done their research yep. and they understand that the average homeowner moves Every five to seven years. And so they have stacked the deck in their favor, exactly. even with that 2.8% yep. to make sure that they're going to get their money. And then when you move, guess what? The clock starts over, All over again. and they get more money. They want you to refi because the clock starts over and they get their money. Even at 2.8%, you still yeah. taking an L. And that's why I tell people do the math. Sometimes people look down on people that are renting more than likely over your lifetime, you may have paid more in paying mortgage payments by the time you had interest in somebody that was actually renting an apartment. So just because you have this asset is not truly an asset if you don't win in the end. My, my, uh, Mindy and I just wrote a book on first-time home buying. And I ran the analysis on buying versus renting and I have chosen to rent. I've owned house wow. hacks or properties in the past. And yeah, I'm, I'm sitting here renting because I think it's the better move for me right now because I don't think I'm going to be in, this lo- in, a, in a house that I'd buy right now for more than five to seven years, realistically. It's just me in Virginia right now. Right. We don't have a family yet. Like, Why would we need to buy before we need it? And why would we... you know? And, and I'm paying more for stuff that I don't need right now. And it's a good time to be renting, I think. Right. So, because your home is yeah. an investment, Scott. Scott, where not, can they go find your book? Home is at, uh, oh yeah, we should, we could, could plug the book. It's, yeah. uh, when, it, when is it, it's launching? Um, it comes or out it's in March. March 11th. Okay. Yes. First time home buyer. It's being released yeah, Mar- March great. 11th. And yeah, well, don't worry. We'll give everybody a chance to hear about the book uh, <laughs> yeah. in great detail. We're very proud of it. And uh, yeah. It's yeah, probably the first great. time we mentioned it on the podcast, but it will not be the last time we mentioned it on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so Talent's um, point about the amortization, I just ran on Google and I just plugged in some random numbers based on the mortgage that I just got. On the first payment, yeah, $300,000 at 3.5% because that's my mortgage. Um, oh. The principal amount of my payment is $472. Okay. The interest... Is eight hundred and seventy-five dollars more than the principal? Double, yeah, double. I am paying twice as much interest yep. as I am on the principal in the beginning, and then of course, if you scroll down for thirty years, your right. last payment is four dollars to interest and one thousand three hundred and forty-three dollars to principal. But that is not the beginning. And am I going to be in this house for thirty years? No, I can guarantee that. Yeah. How much interest do, on the amortization schedule does it tell you? How much you you paid in interest payments? 
This one says my payments uh, for interest will be $184,968, which- How many houses can you buy with With a great rate. Oh, with a great rate, yeah. Yeah, well, in my area, you can't buy anything for $184,000. But it may not be your area. Maybe you can invest in a different state, right? Oh, oh my God, I could buy like four houses. Exactly, this is what I'm saying. And so it's like, do the math, people. Do the math. Like I've heard people say, it's dumb to pay off your mortgage. Well, for us, it's actually put us in a better place because now we're able to now run our company without having the stress. Again, especially in the middle of a pandemic where a lot of people, unfortunately, are trying to figure out how to keep Stay a roof over their head. Right. And now the, the whole purpose of getting out of debt, the entire purpose of paying off a mortgage is not to feel comfortable where we are right now. It's for our future. We don't know what the future holds, right? So we want to put ourselves in a in a in the best Stack the deck possible in your favor. position, right? Because we don't know what the future holds. Nobody knew that the entire world would be impacted at the same exact time, like it has in 2020, right? This whole world of finance is just is just a spectrum of freedom, right? And and when you started off, you weren't free because you were thirty thousand dollars in debt, and you were like, oh, "We're not going to relax for one yeah. second here until we're out of that debt." Then you still didn't relax. You built up an emergency reserve and made some made some decisions there, and then you invested in things that had the potential to move your position forward, yes. but couldn't wreck you. You invested from a position of financial strength. Mm-hmm. Didn't work out, but you you always had that freedom. And so when that when the time came and the economy tanked, you you weren't struggling like a lot of other people, right? Mm-hmm. And then now you've again continued to build that freedom. And now you have total discretionary power over your day yep. and how you spend your time, exactly. unlike the vast majority of people on this planet, right? And so that's that's the power of this thing is it's not like you just start reaping the rewards all at the very end of it at exactly. the end of the day. It just keeps getting better and better and better as you build a stronger and stronger position with, of course, the, the caveat that you have to be disciplined throughout that. That's the that's price right. you pay. We we went through all, all those ups and downs that you talked about. Um, we made all the sacrifices um, that we've talked about. And some things like we talked about are intangible. The way that we get to be in our kids' lives and their activities, um, be in our parents' lives. They've, they've needed our help in situations. We've been able to just get in the car and go. But there's also been some very tangible things that have happened as us doing this, been able to build a business together. Um, we've been able to um, achieve millionaire status together, all because of the prices that we paid. It wasn't one big, massive thing. It was us doing the little things consistently over and over and over again, being willing to be different, being willing to go countercultural, having goals that we set together and then we blocked out the noise of everybody else and we just put one foot in front of the other and we kept going. Now you're an overnight success in just 14 years. Overnight. (laughs) 14 short years. Yeah. Well, and look at, uh, let's go back to the 14 years ago when Ty had a job, when Talit had a job and Bring those two people to now. You both have jobs and you've got kids home from school because of a pandemic. What do you do with your kids? Yep. Like you didn't exactly. predict, I hope you didn't predict this pandemic because um, I would have liked to share that with me, please. <laughs> but my husband doesn't work and he's yeah. there teaching the kids at the end of last year. Oh my goodness, what a disaster. But I don't even know what people are doing. My heart goes out to all these parents too. who have like 
no way to, I have to send my kids to school because there's, there's nothing I could, I, you know, I have to be in the office. I have a job where I have to be there. Right. Um, And just the freedoms that, like you said, you can never predict what's going to happen. So do you miss the whole brand name lifestyle and having a car with a car payment and a nice stereo and, do you miss that, Tyler? I still like things. No, that, that but you can go away. Let me That's tell you, okay. he gets his things. Like yeah. people think that when you have living a debt-free life, like you don't get to splurge. Just this plan man, for it. We plan this for man it. gets stuff. I promise you, like every single month, I'm like, okay, well, what you, what's what you getting this month? So plan yeah, for he it, still you know? loves things. We just plan for it. Yeah. Well, guess what? It, it's I, I don't know because it's and it's probably impossible to get to to assess because how do you value a business? But I'd peg you guys as millionaires. It's probably well past that mark, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. as having paid that price, you get to buy whatever you want. Whatever now. you want. That's exactly. now, now you can buy it. Like this guy, like people That's are like, real. oh, a billionaire. Can I, I get a Tesla? We were, yeah, you can get a Tesla. You're a billionaire, <laughs> exactly. right? We were willing. We were willing to just not do nothing for for years, right? Not not get things at the level. We still have fun. We still went on trips. We still yeah. got stuff, but not at the level. Um, we restricted ourselves so that we could get to a place to where we wouldn't have to restrict ourselves. Do you miss the payments? I don't miss not nan payment. Not one. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm going to correct all of you because you're saying we paid the price. No, you put in yes. the work. You did the. I don't even like to call it a sacrifice because it seems like it's going right. to be a sacrifice. People who are listening now who are, you know, maybe this is the first episode they've ever listened to of the show. And they're like, oh, man, I can't have anything. You can't. I'm going to borrow from Paula Pant. You can afford anything. You can't afford everything. And when you go to to make these changes, don't cut everything out all at once. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah. That really is a horrible, horrible way to live and have no fun at all ever and don't do anything. Don't do that because you're going to fail. You're setting yourself up for failure. You're going to be like, well, see, I said I couldn't do it. And look, I can't. I was right. So look at your budget. Look, I'm always going to harp on tracking your spending. What did you spend money on last month? Look at, really, really look at that. Did you need all of that? And yes, it's January. So it was Christmas and you needed Christmas gifts and blah, blah, blah. I'm not trying to beat you up about last month, but look at where your money is going. Is that really where you want your money to go. Right. And once you see where your money's going, it's super easy to make changes. You don't have to cut everything out. Try no. one thing. Yep. Try and not even cutting it out. Just reduce it. You have you spent a thousand dollars at Target last month. Maybe you spend eight fifty at Target this month. You still get to go to Target. You still get to spend money at Target. You're just not spending as much. And then if you right. were okay with eight fifty, cut it back to eight hundred or you know, 750 or, you know, try to step it back a little bit and see what you miss and what you don't and replace the things that you miss. And if you don't miss it, then you never needed it in the first place, but you have to be conscious about your spending. So right. no, you didn't pay the price because that makes it sound bad. You but we incorporated celebrations as well. So we tell people that, so when we were paying off our mortgage, we did $10,000 increments because it was such a, it felt like a daunting task. Like we were having to tell us, tell ourselves no a lot. And so every $10,000 increments, we would then celebrate where we would take ourselves, we have a beautiful uh, city, beautiful downtown area, and we would get a nice hotel and go to a nice steak restaurant and enjoy ourselves, talk about life, dream. And then we got done with that. It's like, okay, let's go back and hit the grind some more. And so incorporate fun fun within this time. Like it doesn't have to feel like- fun. Yeah, it doesn't have to feel like, oh gosh, five years, I can't sacrifice that. I cannot get five years without doing the things that I love. Well, you can still do the things you love. Just make sure that you account for that, like plan for it. Make a plan. I love that. 
I love that. That's a great idea. Okay, so incorporate rewards. There you go. Okay, so we've got, boy, I've been typing up these little notes and I see, uh, number one, don't place blame on the spouse who uh, has brought some debt into or, you know, has a different mindset that isn't where you want to be. Uh, Number two is lay out all your debts. Get them all out there. I read a book. Oh, I am blanking on her name, but this woman wrote a book where how she, uh, her husband would go to work and then she would go out to the car and bring in all the things that she bought yesterday and put them in her closet real quick. So he didn't know that she had new clothes and she did all the finances. And when she Uh, finally came clean to him, they had something like $40,000 in credit card debt. And he's like, what? Are you kidding me? I had no idea. And so I didn't realize that you could lie to your spouse about money. Which is, I'm so naive sometimes, but like, why would you? That's your partners. And, but again, like, I'm not, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. Tell it. For saying oh, no, that. He's, I'm all right. I'm, listen, he's I'm healed. His credit score is a little bit better than mine now. So, you know, if you truly are going to come clean to your spouse or lay it out, lay out all the debts. Don't try to hide anything. Just go. get it all out there. Uh, okay. Number three, make a clear plan of attack together. Number four, combine your finances. So that you are in this together. It is you against the world. Number five is do not fall into the two-income trap. And number six is give yourself rewards at set intervals. Budget for the fun. Is there anything else you would recommend to people who are looking to change their financial picture and get their spouse on board to tackle the world? Um, I would say to borrow from Dr. Stephen Covey, one of his... um, Habits of highly effective people begin with the end in mind. You have to dream about what you want your life to look like. It's easy to just focus on where you're at right now and the fact that you may not be where you want to be, but take some time, some intentionality toward what you do want your life to look like. And then when you paint this picture of what you want the future to be five years from now, you use that picture You use that information to backwards plan to get yourself, your family from the place that you are right now to the place that you want to be. And you use that as your guiding post because there will be times where you're a little less than motivated. But if you have this picture, if you have this information of where you're trying to get to, you'll hang in there and you'll stay consistent. And I would say be the change that you want to see in your spouse. So sometimes spouses, um, you know, they'll get frustrated if they can't get their spouse on board and then a year will pass and they've made no traction. Like you figure out what you can do, right? So one of the things that I knew that I can control, I can control whether I spend money out for lunch or bring my own lunch. And so what happens is your spouse will be able to take notice like, wow, I do see you making sacrifices. Like sacrifice is not always a bad thing. I do use, I do see you telling yourself no. And, and it causes them to reflect and to look at themselves. And so do what you can do until your spouse comes fully on board. Yeah, I, I think I think it's going to be for someone who's new to this. It's going to be a really tough sell to say, "Stop spending money on all these things that you're spending money on." Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a lot easier of a sell to say, "In three to five years, we could be sitting pretty with fifty thousand dollars in emergency fund, the option for one of us to stay home and be with the mm-hmm. kids, and in seven to, to ten to fifteen years, we could be self-employed or early retired." business owners with complete discretion over how we spend our time in every aspect of life. That's what you're selling, not 
stop spending money on new clothes, you know, right. Is, I think that's, that's where they begin with the end in mind and, and, yes. and painting that vision, I think is so, so critical. Yeah. It's a game changer because it's not about the work that you have to do as much as it is about the destination that you're trying to get to. Hmm? Ooh, that's good. That's really good. I love that. Uh, okay. Is there anything else you want to cover before we move on to our financial scan? We would just want people to know that it's worth it. It's worth it. The work that's necessary, the changes that you have to make, the new habits that you have to develop, it is absolutely worth it. To be sitting on this side of that scenario, we want you to know that it is absolutely worth it. I love that. I love that so much. Oh, you guys are so good. You should see my notes. I'm like, oh my God, I love them. I love them. This is so great. This is going to be like... Killer. This is going to be such a killer episode. This is so much fun. It is time for our financial scan. This is where we look at where you are investing your money. I'm not looking for dollar figures. I'm just looking for percentages of your investment. Uh, 100% Bitcoin? Nah. (laughs) Um, Our focus right now is on, you know, index funds like Scott teaches in his fantastic book. And uh, right now we are sticking cash to the side, looking for the right real estate deal. Um, Those are the two areas um, that our investment dollars are going towards. So Scott, did you hear that? Kind of a boring answer. What's our best answer? Boring, right? Boring. Simple. But but and let me let me just let me just say that they do get a chance to be excited with their finances because you own a business. And so I think that that's the right way to do it. Everything else it sounds like is stupid simple. Paid off house, index funds. Love it. Right? Cash. Boom. Now we get to now we get to be exciting with our business and personal lives. Yeah. Cash for real work. estate. Yep. Yes. Yep. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, whenever anybody's like, oh, this is how I invest. It's never, I'm 100% in Bitcoin and I'm right. always watching my net worth go like nope. this. It's always index funds or maybe a little bit of individual stocks, mm-hmm. real estate, some bonds. And, you guys we're, are- and, and you know, we're, we're reinvesting still into our business. We're yep. buying better equipment. We're buying better software. We're just continuing trying to make our, our business top notch. Well, you guys are crushing it. So is that a YouTube award that I see behind you? It yes. is. Yeah, we hit over 100,000 subscribers in March of 2020. Okay. Headed towards 200 now. Yes. That's nice. awesome. Yep. That is wow. fabulous. Thank now you. you. Now you got one more. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> okay, one last question in terms of our financial scan. In terms of annual spending, how much do you keep in cash or easily liquidatable assets? So I would just say we have a 12-month emergency fund. Oh, um, love simply, it. Yeah, simply because that's what makes me comfortable. If if Tyler had his way, he would probably have a six-month. So I like to tell him I'm a mom. And as a mom, sometimes I just, that extra security just makes me feel good. So we have a 12-month emergency fund. Everything else above that is fair game. Let, let me ask that. you this. Did that, because when you have a mortgage payment, you need 12 months is a little bit more expensive because you have that mortgage payment. Were you able to reduce the, the emergency fund once you paid off the mortgage? As well, a result we were of actually able to now grow the emergency fund more to a 12 month because at the time when we were paying off our mortgage, we only had like a six month. Yep. Okay, got fund. it. Yeah. Okay, so people who know about money have a 12 month emergency fund. I just want anybody listening to hear that again. I didn't even because... know that. I just thought I was the one that was just being wild and, and unique. So I'm happy no. to hear that. Yes. No, no, I'm saying you are the ones who know about money. And yes, you have okay. a 12 month emergency oh, fund. Great. Okay, but we're and, doing that right then. And I would say that uh, many of our guests, we asked them this question, all answer with that same 
you know, six to 12 months. Yeah, um, that's good. And a lot of the folks who have clearly crossed over the threshold of financial independence, um, which you guys are clearly in, a lot of them are, are biased more towards that higher emergency. Not yeah, all. Same. Some folks have lower ones, but but right. that's, that's an, that tends to be the, the tendency is towards that, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Comfort. It does. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? If you decide, hey, 12 months is, is too much now, I can go right. back to six. You can always just spend that six months worth of emergency fund or invest That's it in true. something. But yeah. you can't instantly grab six months. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Takes a while to grab that exactly. six months. Okay. Okay. Let's move on to our famous four. These are the same four questions we ask of all of our guests. And you can each have your own answer. You don't have to agree on this. So okay. what is your favorite finance book? Mine is The Richest Man in Babylon. I can't think that's of the person. Too. Oh, is it George? I think it's all George S. Clayson. Like yes. Clayson. Okay. Yep. That's mine. That was oh, written a hundred years ago. Uh, really? So it's a hundred yeah. years. Ago. I, I like it. I think. I think the I basic it was written principles. Five thousand years ago. <laughs> I, really, oh, just right. I like Sorry. the basic principles of the book. Yeah. For me, I'm a I'm a super practical guy, so I am a fan of I Will Teach You to Be Rich by Ramit Sethi. I think that um, there's. So many strategies, very transparent, like even down to like the, the software and the, the funds that he invests in. Um, so I just think he gives a complete game plan to lay a firm foundation financially. I love it. We, we, we both love Ramit as well. He's been on the, the money show now twice. Oh, wow. Um, had a chance to talk Those to him. Stuff. What was your biggest money mistake? So for me, it was lying about, um, you know, the amount of debt that I had and it almost cost me the woman of my dreams and so um, not being transparent with the totality of my financial situation. Yeah, for me, we created a video on that uh, money mistakes. I think we wish we would have made while single. I think I probably would have wanted to start investing a lot sooner than I did. Well, I love the opportunity cost one as well. We, we, we obviously discussed yours at length, um, Todd. What is your best piece of advice for people who are just starting out? I, I would I would tell couples um, not to live on two incomes. Like we tell everybody that whatever you do, do not over leverage yourself based off of the two incomes that's coming in the household because life will change. It may not change right now or right away, but it will eventually change. So live off one, use the other to save, invest, build wealth, start a business, do some fun things, take some risk. Yeah, I think I would tell people to position themselves for a house hack. I think that it's a heck of a chess piece that if you can... That's a mistake. Wasn't that one of the money mistakes? That was now one I of them. I think about it. Yeah, um, that was one of the money mistakes. I wish, wish we would have done first, but yeah. I, would, I would tell people to uh, position themselves for a house hack um, because it's a major chess piece and where you will end up financially five to 10 years down the road. I, I love it. That was that when I started out, that was my, I, like once I realized there's a house hack component, that was just my number one thing. I'm getting into that as soon as possible because it's just like, what a... What a powerful chess piece. Exactly. Um, that propelled my wealth by hundreds of thousands of dollars wow. and my savings rate and all those different types of things. And, and I was able to house hack for seven years before moving back to renting now. <laughs> wow. I wish um, we would have so, done yeah. that. And we didn't have children at the time too. So it would have it would have been more uh, favorable for us, you know, not to say that people can't do it with children. I personally just feel like it can be a little bit more difficult um, when you have, let's say, three children like we do and maybe staying in a one to two bedroom you know, um, home and house hacking. So, yeah. All right. What is your favorite joke to tell at parties? 
I'm not a joke. I'm, not I'm, a, I'm, so, I'm, not a, I'm such I'm a serious a person, Scott. No, you're not. No, he says that I'm serious. He says that I'm serious. He loves to laugh at jokes, and yeah. it takes a lot to really make me laugh. All right, well, what do you call a French guy being mauled by a lion? A baguette. That's what I said in my head, but that's all I know when it comes to French is a baguette, so I don't know. Claude. Uh, I get it. There you go. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't think I'm laughing more at your hashtag dad jokes. Yeah, hashtag or at dad says jokes. Yeah. Why do fixed interest rates smell so bad? Because they never change. Oh, that's good. That's a good. That's one. a good one. I like that one. That's a good one. Okay, Ty and Talent, please tell people where they can find out more about you. Sure. You all can find us over at our website at hisandhermoney.com. Um, we also have a YouTube channel, a podcast called The His and Her Money Show. We're on all um, outlets. Yep. And social media, we're at His and Her Money. This has been fantastic. We are going to link to all of those things in our show notes, which can be found at biggerpockets.com slash money show 159. And if you are serious about getting your spouse on board with finances, listen to their show, listen to this show, listen to the show with your spouse. Talk about from a non-confrontational, non-judgmental point of view. Be like Ty. Be like Ty. And everybody should be like Ty. Everybody should be like Ty. <laughs> Because you can get yourself on the same financial page. And like you said, it's so worth it to not have money fights. Like whenever, like my husband and I don't fight a lot, but when we do fight, it's really just soul crushing. And I don't want anybody to be like that. I can't imagine fighting about money. That would just be so heavy and weighing. So if that's your biggest fight, if you really just want to fix your finances, Ty and Talent can help you. Thank you guys so much. We appreciate you having us. Keep up oh. the good work, guys. We thank yeah, you for thank coming you on. This is fabulous. Okay, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. bye. Holy cow, Scott. That was fantastic. What did you think? I I I, I really enjoyed it. I, I thought they had an incredible story, and we were able to interweave a lot of really good learnings about how couples can get on the same page financially with this stuff and and, and, and manage the finances. You know, as you know, like obviously me and my wife have talked about finances uh, to some degree. Otherwise I'd be completely <laughs> hypocritical around this, but we, we, we got married and like, guess what? We're only like a few weeks into our marriage and um, we still have some things to do to, you know, dot the I's and cross the T's as far as merging our, and combining our finances. So I think that it's, um, I think it's really powerful to hear that. And I learned a tremendous amount as a new non-bachelor, new husband. That's what the word is. Yeah. <laughs> Newlywed. Um, yeah, newlywed. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I really enjoyed uh, picking their brains. And then their money story was just incredible. I mean, I love it. It's it's uh, it, it, That's the right way to do it. They have complete freedom now and they're never going to have to worry about the stress of their lives. No matter that, that the, the snowball may just keep growing and compounding for them, but they're and they're, but they're never going to be in a position where they're reliant on a paycheck or outside, you know, lacking control or freedom over their time again. Yeah, I just was super excited the entire time we were recording. Scott and I share a Google Doc when we record so we can take little notes. And I'm like, oh my God, I love them so much. This is so fantastic. This is just, I learned so much and I've been married for 19 years. This is the way that they phrase things, the way that they put frames around the outlook for this is just so wonderful. I have never heard somebody 
make such a good argument for paying off your mortgage. And at the end of the show, if you decide that that's not for you, great, that's your choice. But that is what worked for them and that's why it worked for them. And I thought that was a really great way to frame that. I just loved every minute of the show and I'm so happy that we had them on. Agreed. Loved it. Should we get out of here, Scott? This episode ran pretty long today. Let's do it. But I had a lot of fun. It was the perfect length, Mindy, today because that we got we we used every minute of it, and I got value out of every minute minute of it, even if uh, uh, but even if it went a little long, longer than usual. That's okay. Yeah, it was great. Oh, this was so fabulous. This is probably my favorite episode. Okay, from episode one hundred and fifty nine of the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, he is Scott Trench, and I am Mindy Jensen, saying, "Gotta shake, rattlesnake." The market is changing, and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom, and the best investors know it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into real estate investing or take it to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With the BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.